I don't know if uh, you remember this, but back in 2004, in the uh, Summer Olympic Games that were held in Athens, Greece, the American women's 4x100 relay race was favored, of course, during that Olympic Games to win the gold medal. Uh, the team featured, uh, the star of that uh, team was uh, Marion Jones, a sprinter who had already won four gold medals. Um, the American team was off to a strong start in this uh, race, this 4 by 100 as when Jones took the baton for the second leg of that race. She gained ground in her 100 meters um, on the uh, other nations that were ahead of her, and she... Um, uh, and she approached the, the woman, the, the other runner who would get the, the baton, the, the one who had run the third leg of this race, Lauren Williams, a young speedster. Williams began running as Jones was uh, drawing uh, near her, but when she reached back, you know, to receive the baton, as they do in those relay races, um, they couldn't complete the handoff. You know, once, uh, twice, in fact, three times, Jones thrust that baton forward, hoping that, that uh, this uh, young speedster would be able to grab a hold of it. But each time, Williams missed the, the grip, and she couldn't just simply get her fingers wrapped around that baton. But by the, and finally, on the fourth try, they, they made the connection. But by that time, they had crossed out of the 20-yard exchange zone and were automatically disqualified in that race. Now, everyone knew that they were the fastest team um, on that track. I mean, the night before, they, in fact, had, had um, uh, run the fastest qualifying time. But when they couldn't complete the handoff, the race was over, just like that. As important as it is for each one of us individually um, to live the Christian life, to run this Christian race, to live it authentically and to grow in our faith, at a certain point, a handoff must be made. Someone else needs to receive the baton of faith and run with it. And I got to tell you, the handoff isn't as easy as it looks. Uh, I mean, as that race demonstrated, the handoff isn't automatic. This morning, we are finishing our, our uh, vision series that we've been talking about our extraordinary norms here at uh, First Free Church. And we need this morning to talk about this handoff. So I want to invite you um, uh, to turn with me in your Bibles to the last chapter of Matthew's Gospel because we're going to look at Jesus' words and what he has to say to us about this whole idea of the handoff. Matthew 28. You get to Matthew 28 and you realize uh, the disciples are in a unique position. Have you ever thought about um, what those disciples... <laughs> must have talked about what they must have thought about, worried about um, after Jesus' resurrection and before his ascension. Just for a moment, put yourself in, in their shoes, okay? You've been following Jesus for three years. Uh, you've eaten with him, you've listened to him, you've laughed with him, you've been amazed by him. 
I mean, you've seen things happen that, to be honest, you thought were completely impossible. But Jesus did the impossible time after time, and you witnessed this, and he did it simply with a word or, or, or a touch. And now the greatest of these miracles has happened. I mean, you watched Jesus as he was killed on that cross. I mean, you knew he was dead. You, you didn't think there'd be any chance for you ever to, to, to see this guy, uh, you know, your, your, your Lord, the one you had been following, never see him alive again. But once again, you were wrong. Because you have seen him alive now. I mean, uh, since his death and resurrection, in fact, you've talked to him and you have eaten with him. And now Jesus has one, uh, once again instructed the 11 of you to meet him on a mountain in Galilee. Your journey to that mountain together is filled with, uh, you know, excitement and a sense of speculation over Jesus' plans. Uh, I mean, what was he going to do? What was he, he going to say? Um, I mean, something was up. You could just sense it. And Jesus was there waiting for you when you arrived to that mountain. It felt good to be with him again. But for the very first moment you got there, it was clear that, you know what? He had something very specific uh, that he wanted to tell you. Something very specific on his mind. And then he spoke these words. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You know what Jesus was doing there when he said those words to his disciples? He was handing off the baton. <laughs> For a year and a half, he had been gradually releasing more and more responsibility uh, to these guys, and now he was telling his followers um, that the mission was theirs to carry on. Jesus was giving them and us a command, a mandate, as it were, a mandate to live on mission or as we have said in our extraordinary norms, uh, a mission for us to be residential missionaries. Residential missionaries. You say, well, what's that mean? Um, well, it means that you and I, we're all living on a mission field. Do you realize that? I mean, you don't have to go overseas to be on mission. God has placed you where he's placed you. He's placed you with your neighbors. He's placed you in your family. He's placed you with coworkers. He has placed you um, with friends in your life who need the, to hear the good news about Jesus. And most of them will be more likely to listen if they hear it from someone that they know, someone that they, they, they trust, respect. You're living where you are living. You're working where you are working. You are living in the family that you are living in so you can shine his light. You are to be a residential missionary on mission where you live. 
Look with me at Matthew 28. Look at the verses here, verses 19 and 20. And I want you to notice the assignment that Jesus gives all of us. That is to make disciples. Look with me. Go, therefore, he says, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, oftentimes, I think we read these verses wrong. Because what we do is we read it as though Jesus is giving four commands there, as though he's saying, uh, I'm commanding you to do four things. Uh, go and make disciples and baptize and teach. Um, but listen, in the original language, the only command there is make disciples. And it's an emphatic command. I mean, it's a no-doubter command. Jesus is not giving us an option. That is his assignment to us. Make disciples. Every disciple is to be a disciple maker. We're to be residential missionaries. That's your assignment. That's my assignment. And the other three instructions there, the, the going and baptizing and teaching, are all telling us how to carry out this singular command. Um, as we are going, we are to make disciples. You say, well, well Pastor, what's that mean? Well, it means that um, uh, we are to share Christ with others as we go through our days, as we walk through our, our days. Um, we're to invest in people's lives, and we're to invite them into a relationship with Christ. As we go, we are to be winsome, and in doing so, lead people towards Jesus. Have you discovered that every day, <laughs> every day, um, there are opportunities for, for you to reach out to others to demonstrate the excellencies of Jesus? And there are family members, colleagues, um, maybe even strangers that happen to intersect in the trajectory of your life, and, and you have the opportunity to, to touch them as a follower of Christ, to impact their lives. This past week, I had the opportunity, I got a, a call um, a week ago from a, 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 a gentleman who was a, in my youth group 26 years ago, <laughs> um, and he called me out of the blue. He wanted to meet for breakfast, so I got together with him for breakfast, and I was able to you know, encourage and challenge him to, to grow in his faith. That's what happens while you are going. While you are going wherever, to work, to play, to school, to retirement, <laughs> um, to breakfast, we need to remember that we are on assignment. You are on assignment. You are on mission to make disciples. But our assignment doesn't stop there. We're also to make disciples by baptizing. You say, well, what's that mean? Well, baptism is a significant event in the life of a believer. When a person is baptized, they are saying um, that they are ready to go public with their faith. They're ready to identify with Christ and with other Christ followers. Baptism... I, I use the illustration, it's kind of like my wedding ring, you know. Um, my, my wedding ring is a symbol of my love uh, and, and commitment to my wife, Becky. I wear it not because it makes me married. <laughs> I wear it because it tells everyone else that I am married. Um, that I have said I do um, 
to one woman, <laughs> Becky. So I wear my wedding ring. In the same way, baptism doesn't make you a, a Christian or even a better Christian. But it does say publicly to all of those around, it says, hey, I belong to Jesus. I'm a follower of Christ. Third, making disciples means that you teach um, all that Christ has commanded. If you're making disciples, if you are living as a residential missionary, it means that you're helping someone else learn how to maybe read the Bible or how to pray or how to walk in the Spirit or how to have fellowship with others or how to share the gospel or how to give and be more generous or how to walk in obedience to Christ. You're teaching them what you have already learned and what you are already doing, <laughs> how you are living as a Christ follower. See, this whole process of going and baptizing and, and teaching is how we make disciples. That's our assignment. Jesus intends this to be the, the driving passion of his church. Disciples making disciples who then will make more disciples. And you notice the assurance that he gives us here at the end here in verse 20? Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is with us always. Isn't that great? What good words, what great comfort. You think, well, Pastor, I can't do that assignment that Jesus gives. I, 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 I can't make disciples. I, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a missionary. I haven't been to Bible school or to seminary. I mean, there's so much that I don't know. Disciple making, that just isn't for me. Being a missionary in my neighborhood, <laughs> I mean, that's too difficult. That's too hard. Wrong. Wrong. <laughs> It's for all of us, that assignment. And in that assignment, Jesus promises God's presence with us wherever we go. See, that's our mandate. Every disciple is to make disciples who make disciples. And that comes from Jesus himself. And while Jesus gives us the mandate, the Apostle Paul gives us the method. So I want you to turn with me over to 2 Timothy, would you? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes here. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Um, did you notice, did you hear that uh, chain of disciple-making there that comes through in that one verse? There is Paul who teaches Timothy. And then there's Timothy who entrusts the gospel to other faithful men. And then he says these other faithful men are to teach others a step behind them. Four links to this disciple making chain. A great-grandfather Paul, who shares with his spiritual son Timothy, who shares with Paul's grandchildren, faithful men, who share with Paul's spiritual great-grandchildren, others. 
There's the four links. I mean, that's the way we've all learned, isn't it? First of all, we learn from mature believers. Um, we learn from a Paul. We need to learn. Uh, we need those who are more mature than we are. And, and listen, when I say mature, um, I'm not referring necessarily here to age. I, I'm, I'm referring to those who are more mature spiritually. Those who are down the road a little bit further than, than we are in their, in their faith. Um, we need a role model. We need spiritual mentors. I mean, I've had several spiritual mentors, spiritual Pauls in, in my life. My, my parents were probably the biggest and greatest spiritual influence in my life. You know, it kind of reminds me of the picture of the, the kangaroo with a baby in its pouch. And underneath that picture is the caption, uh, his mother determines his point of view. <laughs> um, I mean, that's true, not only of the baby kangaroo, but, but of every child as, as well. And I got to tell you, if you're a parent here, parents, don't underestimate the spiritual influence that you have on your children. Don't underestimate that. All of us learn from those who are one step ahead of us. Second, what we learn, we share with others. Paul instructs Timothy to take what he's learned from him, from Paul, and pass on the baton. Download it to other uh, faithful disciples, others who are a step or two behind him in their faith. Teach them, multiply himself. Third, what others learn from us, then we are to share with uh, others. They are to share with others. These faithful disciples then are to take what Timothy has downloaded to them and they're to teach and disciple uh, others coming up behind them. That's the way the relay race works, isn't it? <laughs> you keep handing the baton off. Multiplication. When I was a kid, um, Saturday mornings was in our house was always chore day. Um, I don't know if that's the way it is in your house, but it was always chore day in our place. And uh, oftentimes my dad would say, come on, Joel, and I'd hop in the car and we would drive down to the local you know, Ace Hardware store um, uh, and I remember we'd walk in, and I mean, you could hardly move in that Ace Hardware store. I mean, I mean there was uh, three narrow aisles. Um, counters were filled with merchandise. Uh, shelves were overflowing. I mean, things were hanging from the ceiling. Um, you'd think, no way am I ever going to find anything <laughs> in, in this place. But you know what? You didn't need to. Because as soon as you walked in... I remember it was Sammy was behind the counter. And Sammy would always say, can I help you today? <laughs> My dad would say something like, well, I, I want to hang a light out the back, uh, out, out back. And Sammy would come out from behind the counter and he'd ask questions like, uh, well, where are you going to hang it? Over the patio? Well, then, and, and, you know, and he would start rummaging through the different shelves until he would pull off just the, the, the right light that, that, that was needed. Well, now you want a light like this. And, and don't use these bolts here. I mean, they're good for indoor stuff, but for outdoor, listen, you're going to need something galvanized. 
Hey, say, your wall is brick, isn't it, Harold? He knew my dad on a personal basis. Well, to run the conduit through there, you want a masonry drip bill. Uh, you want a masonry uh, uh, drill bit, at least a, I don't know, three-quarter inch. Sam would pull out a flat carpenter's, uh, you know, one of those uh, pencils, you know, off his ear, and he'd get out a piece of paper, and he'd start sketching it out there on the counter. <laughs> Today, I mean, completely different. Today, when, when uh, I have a project on Saturday mornings, where I had is usually the Home Depot. <laughs> um, unlike that old neighborhood Ace Hardware store where you had a parallel park, you know, in order to um, find parking. Um, over at Home Depot, I mean, there's an ocean uh, of parking lot there. Um, inside Home Depot, of course, you know, it's, it's huge. And the ceilings are 30 feet high. Home Depot has 40 times the inventory of Ace. And it looks all great, you know, under those uh, bright argon lights. And there's a guy in the orange apron. Oh, I don't know, maybe a half a mile down the aisle that way. And, and, and if you run him down, you say, hey, I need some help. And you say, sorry, I usually work in, in, in paints. I'm just covering electrical because, uh, you know, someone called in sick today. So you're pretty much on your own, you know. <laughs> I got to tell you, too many times that happens in the church. I mean, we have some amazing programs here at First Free. I mean... Uh, Creekside Friends, uh, we have Velocity Student Ministries, our adult community groups. And I got to tell you, it's a temptation for us to get caught up in this idea of bigger is better. Bigger is better. But oftentimes, in the midst of that, there's something missing, isn't there? It's Sammy. It's Sammy. I mean, we all need a Sammy, right? Someone who knows a little bit more than we do and who will guide us to grow in Christ and encourage us and challenge us. I mean, that's why our Creekside friends have so many great teachers and leaders to help guide and direct and teach some of those kids. That's why our Velocity Student Ministry uh, and Pastor Jason, what he does is he breaks that large group up into small groups. Because we all need a Sammy, every one of us. You think about it. Wasn't it the primary way faith was passed throughout the Bible, throughout Scripture? I mean, think about it. Moses trains Joshua, right, in how to lead. Eli trains Samuel in, in how to pray. Jesus teaches the apostles. Timothy's grandmother, Lois, trains up her daughter, Eunice, who trains up her son, Timothy, Paul calls Titus his son in the faith. See, when it comes to helping people grow into spiritual maturity, the Bible gives us the Sammy principle. <laughs> Those who are a step or two further down the road, teaching the ones coming up behind them, and those mature in the faith, guiding those who are newer in the faith. Disciples making disciples who then make disciples. So you say, well, Sutton, I mean, what does this look like in our modern world? John, let's say John comes to church with his wife, uh, but he isn't sure what he believes or really where he stands on this whole faith thing. Pastor introduces him to a man named Tom who begins meeting with John on occasion. 
they have decided to read and discuss a book about basic Christianity. After two meetings, John agrees to study the book of Mark with Tom every two or, or three weeks. Dan and Jill help their two sons, ages five and, and, and seven, with scripture memory, memory and reading the Bible. And they, they, they field the boys' questions and help them understand the meaning of those Bible passages that they're reading, scripture passages that they're memorizing. Sally gets to know a, a, a young woman by the name of Clara at church. Clara confides that she and her husband are um, having problems in their marriage. So Sally and her husband, Jeff, invite Claire and her husband, Sam, over um, for a meal. Sam ends up hitting it off with Jeff. <laughs> um, afterwards, Clara convinces Sam that they should meet with Jeff and Sally to talk a little bit more about their, their marriage issues. They meet together once a month for four months, studying what the Bible has to say about marriage. Believers engage in organic, relational Biblical ministry to others for the intentional purpose of helping them grow in Christ. Those who are a little bit further down the road, right? Handing off the baton to a, a faith to others who are coming up from behind. It's a handoff that's critical in this race. And you and I, listen, I, I tell you, we need to learn to do it well. Paul Borthwick, a pastor in the Boston area, shared a story about a young man named Peter. He says, um, I stopped into a McDonald's in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and I noticed Peter working the counter. I recognized Peter from our young adult ministry at church, and I knew he had just graduated from Harvard University with a master's degree. I greeted him and managed to get him to break free for coffee together. What are you doing here? I asked him, knowing that, you know, Harvard's master's degree students don't usually aspire to work the counter at McDonald's. Well, I graduated in May, he said, but I went for four months without finding a job, so I said to myself, listen, I need some income to pay bills, so this is where I've ended up, at least for now. <laughs> Sorry to hear that. It must be hard, I, I, I replied, before Peter cut me off. No, 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 don't be sorry, Peter said. God has me here. This place has given me awesome opportunities to share my faith. Listen, I'm on a shift that includes a, a Buddhist guy from Sri Lanka, a Muslim fellow from Lebanon, a Hindu lady from India, and a fellow Christian from El Salvador. It's awesome. I get to be a global missionary to my co-workers while asking, would you like fries with that? <laughs> He laughed, so did I. Peter found himself in a setting he never would have chosen as part of his long-term plan, but his mindset of living as a sent person shaped the way he looked at his circumstances and at the people around him. Friends, that's what we are. Christ-centered and Christ-sent Disciples sent as residential missionaries to be disciple makers who are making disciples. So how are you doing living on mission?
This morning, we are finishing our vision series that we began five weeks ago on our Welcome Home Sunday. And we've been focusing on these five extraordinary norms. Again, the idea behind extraordinary norms is really quite simple. We believe that if we all, all of us, uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, are living Christ-centered and Christ-sent lives, then what is normal for us ought to be different than what is normal for the world. It ought to be extraordinary. <laughs> so, uh, let me do a quick review of the five extraordinary norms, just a review of what these are. Number one, every Christ follower should be growing in their ability to reflect the character and priorities of Jesus Christ. Number two, every Christ follower should be building relationships that feel like family with other Christ followers. Number three, every Christ follower should be shaped by God's story and share it with others. Number four, every Christ follower should be recognizing and responding to the needs of others in a tangible way. And our fifth one, which we focused on this morning, is that every Christ follower should be living as a residential missionary, or in the words of an athlete, I hand off the baton. Now listen, I would like nothing more than to sit down with every one of you, not only in this service, but in the next service, those who are watching online, um, and have a cup of coffee with you, and uh, find out where you're at, and hear your story about what God's doing in your life. But I got to tell you, as we might realize, that's not possible. So instead, I want to ask for your help. I'd like each person here to fill out a uh, church-wide survey, okay? A church-wide survey this morning. Because as a pastor, I, I want to know where you're at. I want to know how you're doing. Our church leadership wants to know um, how we're doing currently when it comes to our vision and, and, and our mission our staff, we'd like to know how we can partner with you and encourage you in your desire to have Christ become formed in you. So I'm going to ask you to get out your phones, okay? I'm going to ask you to get out your phones and uh, point your camera. You can find this QR code on the back of your bulletins here, okay? And when you, fill, when you point your cameras to that QR code, it should take you to a survey that I'm going to give you time this morning right here, right now, to fill out. It shouldn't take you too long. And if you don't have a phone or you don't want to use your phone, um, I think uh, John here has some surveys, some paper surveys that you can raise your hand and he'll hand to you. And then you can um, grab that and fill that out and drop that off in the um, offering boxes out there in the lobby this morning. Um, and listen, if you're watching online, I want to tell you the QR code should come up on the screen in front of you, or you can also find um, a description, a link uh, on the description, in the description area, a link to that survey. And we'd ask you to fill that out as well if you're watching online. We would like everyone that's here today that says, hey, First Free is my you know, home church. It's my church family. I consider, we, we want you to fill out this survey. We want you to be honest, fill it out, and let us know where you're at. I'm going to take some time just to let you take some time to fill out that survey this morning. Because I want you to fill it out before you leave today. I don't know if you've had 
everyone's had the opportunity to fill it out fully, I would invite you to stay after the service if you have not had that opportunity to complete the survey, to remain here before coming down to fellowship or before leaving and fill out that survey because we'd really uh, appreciate and like to know how you're doing. Now, I understand surveys like this are limited. <clears throat> they're limited. Um, they're just a sh- small picture in time. It doesn't tell us if you're... Um, faithful to Christ. It doesn't give us that peace at all. I just, it, it just helps us kind of say, okay, how can we encourage um, everyone here uh, to continue to grow in your um, uh, desire to become more like Christ, to have Christ continue to be formed in you? Um, so we want to invite you to fill out this. By the way, next week, we're going to be having this uh, a little bit of a, a help Piece. We'll be handing out, putting this together, finishing up the touches. We'll have this ready for next week called Extraordinary Norms, and it's um, Practices and Resources for Building Christ-Centered and Christ-Sent Community. And you'll be able to pick up one of these. We'd invite you to do that. It has all sorts of different resources, ways to say, okay, I need to work in this area of my life um, to become, have this become an extraordinary norm in my life. This is an area I would like to grow in and uh, invite you to pick up one of these next week. So just to give you a heads up, um, we want to give you some tools to be able to do just that. Let me pray. God, thank you again that you want to work in each one of us, in our hearts and lives, so that we become more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. We reflect more and more your character, your priorities, your love of people around us. God, we desire... Uh, to glorify you in all we do. Help us with your Holy Spirit, the power of your Holy Spirit to continue to grow, to keep in step with your Spirit for your glory, for your namesake, in your Son's precious name. Amen.